Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. Well, hey guys, picking up where we left off, we are going to continue our study through the book of Philippians. Today, we are in Philippians chapter two, starting in verse five. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me there. If you're new, my name is Byron, and our favorite way to preach the Bible here at Redemption is to go verse by verse through entire books of the Bible. And today, we are continuing our study through the book of Philippians that we are calling Finding Joy even when you don't feel like it. Because the truth is, not a lot of us are feeling very joyful, which means we need to find joy. If you don't feel it, that means you need to go out and find it. And we're here to help you at House Church to be able to find joy. So before we dive in today, I want to tell you a really funny story, a funny story that happened to me just this week. So the other day, I was driving down the road, and I kid you not, Confession time. I cut a woman off in traffic. I know I did it. My bad. Totally my fault. I straight up cut this woman off in traffic. But you know what? I feel terrible about it. But don't pretend that you've never cut someone off in traffic either. But here's what was so funny about it. Okay, I just found joy laughing to myself. Because as soon as I cut her off, she drove up right next to me and she gave me the look. Like, you know the look, right? That look. Yeah, she gave me that look. But not only did she give me the look, she gave me something else. She gave me the finger. That's right. She told me I was number one, but she didn't use this finger. She used another finger that if I were to do it right now, I would no longer be your pastor. Luckily for me, I don't have an R sticker on the back of my car. So she gives me the figure and then she takes off going 90 miles an hour down the interstate. And you know what I did in that moment? Here's what I did. I raised my hand up and I said, Lord Jesus, just give her some joy. Give her some joy today because that lady sure ain't feeling joy so I know that she needs to find some joy how many of you feel like that lady right you're like I don't really feel very joyful well you're in the best place you're in the perfect place because today we are going to find some joy and where do you go if you need to find some joy well you go to God's word you go to the good news you go to the book of Philippians because Philippians is a book that's all about finding joy so if you have your Bible we're in Philippians chapter 2 starting in verse five. And the sermon title today is, are you ready? Here's the sermon title for today. Finding joy, even when you are selfish. That's right. We're going to talk about your favorite subject. You know what we're going to talk about today? We're going to talk about you. Yeah, because that is your favorite subject. We're going to talk about you. Now, we all know that there are some people in our lives who need to hear the sermon over selfishness. Amen. So what you can do is this. You can go ahead and tag him in the comments, say, hey, they're preaching over selfishness. This person is you. No, I'm just kidding. The person who needs to hear the sermon over selfishness is not the person sitting next to you on the couch. So no wink, wink, nudge, nudge to them. There is a person who needs to hear the sermon over selfishness, and it's not the one on the couch. It's the one that meets you in the mirror every single morning. We all need to hear the sermon over selfishness because sometimes we are all 
pretty selfish people. So we're going to talk about what you really want to talk about. We're going to talk about you. If you look around the world right now, people are talking about a lot of different things. People are talking about COVID-19, social distancing, flattening the curve. Right now, people are talking about President Trump and Anthony Fauci. People are talking about the Democratic primary debates, if those things are still happening. People are talking about lots of things. People are still talking about Tiger King. Believe it or not, knock that off. Tiger King, no. That's not what we want to talk about. You know what we would talk about today? We want to talk about the most important thing. We want to talk about you and we want to talk about Jesus. And more importantly, we want to talk about how Jesus comes to give you joy. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Philippians chapter two, starting in verse five, and we're going to see three ways that Jesus gives you joy. Here's where we pick up. Have this in mind amongst yourselves. So we're going to talk about that, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the points of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. God the Father. In this section, the Apostle Paul here, he actually gives us a theology of joy. Paul here is writing from prison and he is chained to a Roman guard. He is in isolation or solitude and he is writing a book of the Bible from prison to his friends at the church of Philippi. And do you know what the book of Philippians is all about? Joy. He's in prison, yet he has joy. He is lonely, yet he has joy. He is isolated, yet he has joy. He is suffering, yet he has joy. You and me right now, we may not be in prison, but we are in a pandemic and it is possible for even in your situation or your circumstance to experience the joy that comes from the Lord because joy is not based on happenstance or circumstance. Joy is based upon a supernatural work of Jesus in your life. Paul here, he is giving us a theology of joy. That's why he says in verse five, have this mind amongst you yourself. He's talking about a theology. He's talking about a mindset. He's talking about the way that you think and what you believe determines how you behave. When Jesus was alive, they came to him and they asked him, what is the most important commandment? And Jesus answered them by saying this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, and all of your strength. Many of us are really good at loving the Lord with our heart, with our soul, and with our strength, but we also need to learn to grow in our love for God with our mind. When we love God with our mind, that's what we call theology. And here, the Apostle Paul gives us one of the most dense theological sections in all of the New Testament. He talks about Jesus in heaven 
pre-incarnate, before the foundations of the world. He talks about Jesus here on on earth through his life and his ministry, his death, burial, and resurrection. And then he speaks of Jesus' exaltation and eternity future. So what we find in this section of scripture is that Jesus lived in eternity past, Jesus lived in eternity present, and Jesus also lives in eternity future. And the entire idea of the life of Jesus is that Jesus has joy. What Paul wants you to know is that Jesus and joy, they go together. 19 times in the book of Philippians, Paul writes the words joy, rejoicing, feasting, celebration, happy, glad, because Paul has joy. And 69 times in the book of Philippians, he writes the name of Jesus. I went to public school, but I know those two things go together. If you got Jesus, you got joy. And if you want joy, then you need Jesus. Here he's giving us a theology of joy. He speaks of Jesus' eternality before the foundations of the world. He speaks of Jesus' humiliation as he enters into this life, death, burial, resurrection, and then his great exaltation. And all through the process, you know what Jesus had? Joy, which means Jesus has joy for you. You need to understand that Christianity is founded by joy, that our God is a happy God. Our God is a good God. Our God is a glad God. Our God is a joyful God. And God loves to give joy to his people. God's a father in heaven, and he wants his children to be able to experience joy. Next week is Easter Sunday. I don't know if you remember that or not, but it's true. Next week is Easter. And as a father, you know what I want to do for my daughters? I want them to be able to enjoy Easter. Easter is a day that's filled with joy. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do Easter egg hunts with our daughters. We're going to give them so much candy they don't sleep at night. We're going to have games and we're going to have prizes and we're going to love on them and they're going to enjoy Easter. God is a father and he wants for you to enjoy it as well. Whenever Esther and Ruth, when they open up their Easter basket, you know what's going to be on their face? A smile. And you know what's going to be on my face? A smile. God loves it when his children are able to experience joy because God is a joyful God and he wants us to be able to be joyful people. With that being said, we have to ask ourselves, Well, if God is so joyful, then how come so few of us are actually experiencing this joy? And here's the reason why. It's because most of us, we do not go to theology when it comes to joy. If we're wanting joy, we don't go to theology, but rather we go to therapy. Most of us, we have a therapy of joy, not a theology of joy. Theology typically is the last place we go. Like, I have to read a book and memorize big words and go to college. I don't know. That doesn't sound very fun to me. Okay, here's what I mean by a theology versus a therapy. A therapy of joy says that joy is out there. A theology of joy says, no, joy is right here. A therapy of joy says it's something that I have to earn. But a theology of joy is it's something that God gives. A therapy of joy says, oh, well, joy is always tomorrow. But the Bible says that there is a joy that comes in the morning and there is a joy that is today. A therapy of joy says it's something that I have to achieve. But a theology of joy says, no, no, no. Joy is something that you receive. And so many of us, we're always looking for joy out there and we don't realize that joy is right here and his name is is Jesus. When people 
people are looking for joy or gladness or happiness, we tend to settle for it in one of three places. We look for joy in either people, places, or possessions. So if you're looking for joy in people, then it's always going to be whether you get in a relationship, whether you get this job, maybe you ask them to go on a date and you're like, I hope they really say yes. Maybe he'll go out with me. Maybe he'll propose to me. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Or when I get married, then I'll finally be happy. When I have kids, then I'll finally be happy. Whenever I have grandkids, then I'll finally be happy. If I could get this many followers on Instagram, then I will finally be happy. But, well, what happens? Well, you start dating him and then you realize he's got bad hygiene and none of his friends are really good and they're all kind of idiots and you're not as interested as you think you were. And so you break up. Or maybe you get engaged and you realize his feet are really stinky and he's got a lot of really bad habits and I just don't really want to be with him. And then you break up. Or you get married and then you realize very quickly that they don't do what you tell them to do and well you're not going to do what they tell them to do and you get married and it's a lot of work and there's fighting oh no there's bills to pay and all of a sudden well there goes your joy well you have kids and they're really expensive and then you know they're pooping and peeing and fluids are flying around everywhere and now you got to send them off to college and they're drinking Mountain Dew and Red Bull at midnight setting off fireworks in the living room and you're like this is not what I signed up for I know and so because you put all of your hope in people well all of a sudden people disappointed you and there goes your joy so now you're sitting at home under a quarantine and you can't see people anymore anyway so you're all six feet social distance from one another and your joy is nowhere to be found so if you don't find joy in people well then some people they try to find joy in places so if I could just go here then I'll be happy if I could just get this job then I will be happy if I could just go to the bar if I could just go to the beach if I could just go to Hawaii if I could just go to a Mexican restaurant that would make me so happy right now and you're looking for joy in places you know what I've discovered every year me and my wife and our family we go on vacation and typically we always go to a beach and every time we go I'm always disappointed because it sounds better in my mind than actually being able to experience it because I had a therapy that joy was found in a place so what happens well if you're looking for joy in places well then all of a sudden they issue a social distancing quarantine stay at home order and you're not able to go any places and so well there goes all of your joy but don't worry don't worry because Amazon is always open and UPS always delivers. You could find joy in places. Retail therapy, baby. Home shopping network at two o'clock in the morning, scrolling through Instagram, buying things you don't need with money you don't have to impress people that you don't even like. This is why some people bought $75 worth of toilet paper from eBay. I know you did it. I know people who actually did it as well because we think that joy is found in either people or in places or in possessions. You buy the house, you buy the car, right? You buy a nice flat screen TV and Xbox console so you can quarantine in style. There will be no boredom in my house, baby, because I have people, I have places, and I have possessions. But let me tell you something, that people will always disappoint you. Places will always disappoint you. Things, they come and go. And when that happens, a therapy 
canopy of joy disappoints you, it lets you down. Because the truth is, joy is not found in people. Joy is not found in places. Joy is not found in possessions. Joy is from a person, and his name is Jesus. Only Jesus will never disappoint you. Only Jesus will never forsake you. Only Jesus will never abandon you. Only Jesus will never give up on you, never give in on you, never let you down because Jesus is joy. Joy is a person and his name is Jesus. This is the reason that Paul can have great joy when he has no people around him. This is the reason that Paul can have great joy whenever he can't go places. This is why Paul has great joy when he doesn't have any possessions because in prison, he has a person and his name is Jesus. This is the difference between a therapeutic joy versus a theology of joy. Now, something very important, I need to tell you this. I am not opposed to therapy. I'm not saying that therapy is bad. If you need therapy, please get therapy, right? If you go to a doctor, please go to the doctor. If they prescribe you medication, please take your medicine. If you need a therapist, send us a message. Hello at redemptiontx.com. We have therapists and licensed biblical counselors that we recommend to people in our church. I want you to please get help. But hear me on this, sitting on your couch Eating Oreos and playing video games is not therapy. That's bad theology. Because according to you, joy is always somewhere else. And what you don't understand is that through a theology of joy, joy is available for you today. That joy is not out there, joy is here. See, most of us, we think that if I can just do this, then I'll have joy tomorrow. Again, the Bible says that there is a joy that comes in the morning, there is a joy for today. See, many of us, we think that we have to make our way to joy. But the Bible says that joy has made his way to you. And his name is Jesus. And this is the theology of joy that the Apostle Paul is presenting to us today. That Jesus leaves heaven. He enters into this world to live the life that we never could live. To die the death that we deserved. And to give us a joy unimaginable, unspeakable, unthinkable that we would never be able to earn on our own. Joy is not in people or places or things joy is in a person and his name is Jesus. So here's what I want to do today. I want to give you three ways that Jesus comes to give you joy. The first way that Jesus comes to give you joy is this, is that Jesus makes selfish people servants. Here's what the apostle Paul says. He says, have this in mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have this in mind. It's how you believe determines how you behave. And then he says, it's yours already. It belongs to you. Joy is right there for you. He has already given it to you. It is yours in Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant and being found being found or being born rather in the likeness of man. Now, if there was ever a person in the history of the world that had the right to be selfish, it would be Jesus. I mean, think about it. He says that he was found, he was formed in the same image as God. That means he is one in essence with God the Father. Jesus is the second member of the Trinity. Jesus Christ is God. If there was ever a person in the history of the world who had the right to be selfish, it would be Jesus. Think about it. He is God. What would you do if you were God? The answer is everything and nothing at exactly the same time. Amen? You're like, I'm God. See, most of us are selfish 
selfish because we think we're God. Jesus actually is God. Most of us, we're selfish because we want people to come and worship and glory in us. Jesus is God, worthy of all worship and glory. Most of us think we're selfish because we want others to serve us, but Jesus, being God himself, humbled himself and took on the form of a servant. And here's the reason why. Because Jesus knew that the secret to joy was not in having other people serve you, but when you learn to serve others. Consider Jesus as God. Like, put that on your resume. Type it up on LinkedIn. God. You're like, ooh, that's a very impressive resume. Well, what's your occupation? Uh, God. Okay, where'd you work last? Heaven. Okay, what did your employees think about you? Well, they're angels and they sang to me all the time. You're like, that's pretty incredible. Like, I don't care how great your job is, people probably aren't singing to you at work. Amen? And so Jesus is God. He is in heaven, pre-incarnate, and here's what he does. Jesus leaves all that behind and he is born to a poor, unwed, single teenage virgin girl raised by an adoptive father who swung a hammer, lives in a poor rural town, and he lives in virtual obscurity for 30 years of his life before he goes into public ministry. And the entire time he was in ministry, do you know what he did? Jesus served. Because Jesus understood that joy does not come from when others serve you, but rather when you learn to serve others. This is one of the major themes throughout the book of Mark. We've been in a study through the book of Mark called the simple gospel. And one of the big themes is how Jesus comes to serve. So there's a conversation that happens with the disciples and they go up to Jesus and they say, Hey Jesus, how do we become great? How do we become the best? How do we be great? Jesus says, you want to be great? They're like, yes, who is the greatest? Which really is a silly question because you would think it would be Jesus, right? Obviously they would clue in. It's like, it's probably the guy who can water ski without a boat and feed 5,000 people with a lunchable. He's the greatest, but they don't catch up with that. Here's, here's what Jesus says. You want to be great? Okay, here's what you need to do. You need to learn to serve others. That the first will be last and the last will be first. And if you want to be the greatest, you need to become the servant of all. Because Jesus understood that joy is found not when others serve you, but when you learn to serve others. In fact, in Mark chapter 10, the same conversation happens again. And Jesus says that the son of man, who's that? That's God in the flesh. The son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Because Jesus understood understood the secret to joy is not when other people serve you, but when you learn to serve others. I love what the apostle Paul writes right here. He says that he was found in the likeness of man. Jesus lays aside the divine rights to his nature, to his character, and to his immutable abilities and then he humbles himself by entering into human history. He did not lay aside his divinity, but rather he added to divinity humanity, and he is found in the form of man. Do you know what that means? That means that Jesus Christ lived the life just like you and me, that he was born as we were born, that he had to learn to walk and talk and read and write the same way that all of us do. He had friends, he had family, he had enemies, and he had conflict and everything in between. Whatever we go through, Jesus Christ also went through that. Do you know what that means? That means there was times in Jesus' life that he was tired. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus actually fell asleep in a boat in the middle of a storm. He lay down and he took a nap. Sometimes the most joyful thing you could do is take a nap. Amen. Jesus, he was tired. Jesus, he was exhausted. There was even times where Jesus was hungry. And yet, you know what he did the entire time? He served. 
See, oftentimes we use our emotions as an excuse to justify our selfishness. So we'll say things like, I'm tired, I can't serve. And Jesus didn't do that. Jesus was tired and yet he still served. We'll say things like, oh, I'm exhausted, I can't do anything. No, Jesus was exhausted and yet he still loved, helped, and served others. Or we'll say, I'm hungry, or we get hangry. And then what do we do? We go out to eat or get takeout and we expect others to serve us. But even though Jesus was hungry, do you know what he still did? Jesus fed others because Jesus understood that the secret to joy is not when others serve you by being selfish, but when you learn to be a servant. Jesus served everyone, everywhere that he went. Jesus was a servant. Whenever he was preaching, he was serving. Whenever he was teaching, healing, performing miracles, casting out demons, doing signs and wonders, he was serving those people. Whenever he healed the sick, he was serving them. Jesus, he is welcoming outcasts and sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. He is loving the unlovable. He is forgiving the unforgivable. He is giving hope to the hopeless and he is serving others. And you know what? If you want to be really convicted, just think about this. Jesus spent his entire life serving the people that we expect to serve us. It's a little convicting, isn't it? But Jesus understood that serving is the secret to joy. And it does not come from being selfish. Jesus is the greatest servant that there is. And do you know why so many people are lacking in joy? Here's the reason why. It's because most people don't know how to spell. You say, Byron, I've seen you type. You do not know how to spell. No, I do know how to spell. I know how to spell joy. Most people are unhappy because they don't know how to spell joy. Here's how you spell joy. J-O-Y, right? Jesus others yourself. That's how you spell joy. Most people are unhappy because they don't have joy. They have yoge. You got yoge. And if you got a case of yoge, you need to call your medical provider, go see a doctor, get some cream for that. You need to get tested if you got yoge because yoge don't make nobody happy. You know what yoge is? Yoge is yourself, others than Jesus. And that does not produce joy. That gives you yoge. And yoge is contagious. Okay, yoge, it spreads. Selfishness is contagious. We live in an entire society that is devoted to self-help, self-needs, self-actualization. It's all about yourself and it is a nation of selfishness. This is the reason why people are hoarding toilet paper and bottles of water. Just so you know, you can get water at home. You don't need 57 cases of water. Just get you a glass or a water hose like when you were a kid. That stuff is free. You don't need to be selfish when it comes to these things. But in seasons like we're in, many people become selfish because suffering people are selfish people. And they become selfish thinking only of their wants and needs and they're not caring about others. Other people, they just started shaming everybody. Have you noticed that? They're like, well, you don't do it like I do and you don't do it like this and you need to do this and you're the cause and you're the problem. It's all your fault. Ah, shaming people because they're selfish. And then some people, they're like, nobody's going to tell me what to do, right? I'm not going to follow any social distancing order. I'm going to Cancun and I don't care if I get the Rona. Selfish. 
It's all selfishness. Jesus doesn't come to show us the way to be selfish, but rather Jesus comes to show us the way to be a servant because Jesus understands that joy is not found in having other people serve you, but when you learn to serve others. Listen, this is a time right now for the church to become servants, for us to rise up and to show the world what it means to serve others. So what are some ways that this week you could begin to serve others? Right, one way you could serve others is by praying for them. That you could pray for other people right now. 10 out of 10 people I've talked to have all had a prayer request. Even my atheist friends are like, I don't believe in God, but I do have a prayer request. And if you could talk to him for me, that would be nice. And I'm like, I just made you an agnostic. You're one step closer to Jesus. People have prayer requests. You could write a thank you card. Give somebody a gift card. You could pick up your phone and call someone. I don't know if you knew this or not, but phones work both ways. Like it also calls other people instead of always waiting for other people to call you. Mind blowing. Okay, you can get up and you can go and you can still serve others. This is an opportunity for us to become like Jesus and to serve others. Well, Jesus came to give us a second thing for us to be able to find joy. And here's what it says, is that Jesus comes to make proud people humble. And here's how it says, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the points of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus leaves heaven and he enters into this world in heaven. Do you know where Jesus was sitting at? A throne. All of the dads know at your house, you have a recliner with a lever. That's as close to his throne as you'll ever get. Jesus in heaven, he was seated on a throne. But what did he do? He gave up his throne and he came and he was born in a manger. Jesus had a crown of glory, but what did he do? He traded a crown of glory for a crown of thorns. Jesus in heaven, he had streets paved with gold. You know, the economy is doing really good when you have streets made of gold. When you're like, hey, what do we do with all this gold? And they're like, I don't know, build a highway out of it. And they're like, sounds good to me. When they're using gold as pavement, you know, the economy is good. And then Jesus comes and he is born into poverty, into obscurity, and into humility. He trades a throne for a cross, a crown of glory for a crown of thorns. He trades glory for humility. And you wonder, why would Jesus do that? Because Jesus understands that proud people aren't happy people, but humble people are. Proud people aren't happy people, but humble people are. See, you and me, we don't have this in mind amongst ourselves. We don't think like Jesus thinks. Our entire definition of the good life is doing what we want, when we want, however we want, and we think nobody can tell me what to do because this is my life. And our definition of happiness and joy is built on defiance and disobedience and independence. Okay, but Jesus doesn't define joy like that. In fact, it says that he found joy by humbling himself and becoming obedience. Jesus found joy through obedience, and obedience even to the points of death on a cross. Well, why would Jesus do that? Because Jesus understands that proud people aren't happy people, but humble people are. Jesus was happy. Do me a favor right now. Close your eyes. And I want you to, just for a moment, Imagine Jesus, right? Think about Jesus. Take a picture in your mind. What portrait or image of Jesus comes to your mind? Okay, now open your eyes. When you saw Jesus, how many of you saw 
Jesus smiling? Now just think about that. Was Jesus smiling? Jesus was smiling. See, many of us, when we imagine Jesus, we think of him like some mean God up in heaven with a lightning bolt in his hand waiting to smite people. But that's not the God that's presented to us in Christ. In fact, the most famous paintings of Jesus have him emaciated and skinny with a sour and dour look upon his face. Is that the Jesus that you see? Or do you see the Thomas Kincaid paintings of Jesus where he's a hippie in a dress driving a Prius with 12 dudes who don't wear deodorant? Is that the Jesus that you see? Okay, that's not the Jesus that's presented in the Bible. Jesus isn't angry. Jesus, he isn't emaciated and sorrowful and skinny. And Jesus ain't a hippie. Here's the Bible picture of Jesus, that he is laughing, he is joking, he is cracking up with his friends, and that Jesus is happy and glad, and Jesus is joyful. Jesus is happy. In fact, at Jesus' own birth, when the angel comes to Mary, he says, this is good news of great joy, that Jesus comes to bring joy. And whenever Mary goes to her cousin, John the Baptist, in her belly at the presence of Jesus, leaps with joy. Jesus was joyful. Do you know how I know that? Because Jesus gets invited to parties. They call him a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of sinners. You don't get that reputation unless, unless you're a pretty joyful person. Do you know who didn't get invited to parties? The Pharisees, the proud, selfish, religious people. They're like, how come nobody invites us to any? parties. They're like, because you're no fun, Pharisee Phil. Knock it off. See, proud, selfish people, they're no fun to be around. Jesus, man, Jesus was a humble servant, and he was a lot of fun. Do you know how also I know he's fun? Because kids love to hang out with them, right? Kids don't like to hang out with proud, selfish people, right? The kids don't run up to the Pharisees, and they're like, hey, could you give me another lesson on ritual hand washing? Okay, that was a really exhilarating message, Pharisee Phil. No, they don't do that. That's in Mark 7 if you want to go listen to it, we'll leave that sermon in the archives. <laughs> but they run up to Jesus. I mean, they're hanging and pulling all over Jesus, tugging on his beard, getting fudgesickle on his cloak. I mean, Jesus is like a jungle gym Jesus of joy. Kids love Jesus. He's always going to parties. He's always healing people. And he's always eating. He gives us communion because Jesus never missed a meal. I mean, this is the God of the Bible. This is the God that we serve. This is Jesus. Jesus, who is filled with joy, because Jesus understands that proud people aren't happy people, but humble people are. Jesus leaves it all behind, so that way in him we can find joy. So let me give you a point about the problems of pride. I want to compare to you humility versus pride. Here's, here's some of the big problems that comes along with pride. Here's what it says. First, number one is this. Pride beats people up, but humility builds people up. Okay, pride beats people up. Here's one of my sayings that I say all the time, is that you don't have to make other people feel bad in order to make yourself feel better. Okay, I don't know if you knew that or not, or who needed to hear that, but I'll repeat it to you one more time. You don't have to make other people feel bad in order to make yourself feel better. Proud people, that's what they have to do. They have to criticize, they have to gossip, they have to talk about other people behind their backs, they have to make other people bad. Why? because that's the only way that they can make themselves feel better. 
Humble people, they don't do that. You know what they do? They build people up. They encourage them. They bless them. They don't look to find every single fault, but they look and see what God has been doing in their life, and they speak into that to be able to encourage them, to be able to bless them, to be able to build them up. Proud people beat people up, but humble people build people up. Number two, pride competes with others, while humility compliments and celebrates others. I was watching a documentary the other day. It's on Netflix. You can find it. It's called 100 Humans. And it's a scientific research reality show where in it they took two groups of people and they wanted to see what makes a better work environment, whether it's a competitive environment or whether it is a environment of celebration and collaboration. So in this group, they gave them spaghetti and scotch tape and said whoever could build the tallest tower using spaghetti and scotch tapes wins $400. They did the same thing with the other group, but they didn't tell them about the prize. Well, who do you think built the tallest tower? Well, it's actually the fun group. See, this group, they become very competitive. They're arguing and they're trying to compete with one another. It becomes very secretive and very manipulative. This group, they're laughing, cutting up, having a good time, encouraging one another, and they're celebrating. And also, their tower was six inches taller, and at the end of it, they still got the $400 prize. Why? Because... They were humble. The other, they were very proud. And here's what pride does. Pride competes with everybody, but humility celebrates and compliments. Number three, pride leads to jealousy, but humility leads to rejoicing. The Bible says that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Jealous people cannot rejoice with those who rejoice because when someone else get what they want, they think they deserved it, they earned it, and they could do better than that. And they can't do what the Bible tells them to do, to rejoice with those who rejoice. So they have to make them weep because that's the only way they will be able to rejoice. Pride, it leads to jealousy. But on the other hand, humility, Man, humble people are happy people. They're like, hey, you got the job? Good for you. Hey, you got the girl? Good for you. Hey, you're happy? I'm happy. You're happy. Good for you. See, humble people are happy people because they know how to rejoice. Number four, pride is a destination. Humility is a journey, right? If you want to be proud, you can get there. You can put that in your GPS, pride, and then Siri's gonna say, you've arrived at your destination. And there's even shortcuts to be able to get there. If you wanna be proud, hear me on this, you can be proud. It's not very hard. But if you wanna be humble, well, that's actually a journey. See, none of us can ever say, I'm humble. The moment you do, you lose all of your humility. Like if you're like, I used to struggle with pride, but I don't struggle with pride anymore. I'm the most humble person that there is, okay? You win the top prize for the most pride. <laughs> but those of us who understand, okay, yes, I have a propensity towards pride. Lord, forgive me. I am now on this journey to humility along the way. Do you know what we find? We find, we find joy. The journey towards humility is filled with great joy. This is the pattern and this is the life that Jesus sets before us. That though he was God, he humbled himself and entered into human history to give his life for us through serving, through loving, through caring for everyone that he came across. Jesus, he understood that proud people are not happy people, but humble people are. Jesus shows us the way to joy through his humility. But you know what I think is the most dangerous problem with pride? It's this, is that proud people resist the grace of God. Humble people repent and receive the grace of God. 
Proud people, they cannot repent. Just so you know, that's how you become a Christian. By admitting that you're not perfect, by admitting that you are a sinner, by admitting that you are flawed and that you have messed up and you are in need of a savior. The Christian life begins with one of repentance. And in order to repent, you know what you gotta do? You gotta humble yourself. The truth is, is if we don't humble ourselves, God will humble us. Every proud person will be humbled one day. Proud people, they resist the grace of God. Humble people, they receive the grace of God through repentance. Here's what repentance is. Repentance is when you turn from your sins and you trust in Jesus. That your entire life was living for your will, your way, doing what you wanted, and then you stop, you turn, and then you change, and you live for God's will, God's way, obedient to God's word, and you do what he says. This is the Christian life. All of it is one of repentance, and proud people cannot repent, because here's what happens. When they repent, they have to admit that they're not perfect, and they can't admit that because they're proud. This is the biggest problem with pride. You know how they continue to promulgate their position of pride? They have to do it like this, by comparing themselves to other people. That's the only way you can actually be proud is when you begin to compare yourself to other people. You say, I don't need God. They need God. I don't need God. Like, I'm not as bad as they are. I, I, I don't need God. I mean, they need God, right? Because look at them. Look at their life. Look at the mess that they're in. I'm a pretty good person. I pay my taxes. I walk my dog. I don't beat my wife. I've never been to jail. I don't need God. And that's That's pride. Because you're so busy comparing yourself to other people, you refuse to compare yourself to Jesus. Because humility compares itself to Jesus. That according to Jesus, I'm not perfect. According to Jesus, I'm no better or worse than anybody else. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that I need a savior and I need Jesus. That is the posture of humility. And it begins and it flows through a posture of repentance. Proud people cannot repent. But humble people, they repent. The Bible actually also has another warning for proud people. And here's what it says in 1 Peter. It says this. It says that God resists the proud. So if you spend your life resisting God, guess what God's going to do? God's going to resist you. That the one thing that God can't stand or doesn't want to be around is pride. But you know what God gives grace to? The humble. Peter says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God says, if you're humble, get in here. I got grace for you. Do you want mercy? Get in here. I got mercy for you. Do you want joy? Get in here. I got joy for you because I love to give joy to humble people. And here's what Jesus wants us to understand is that proud people aren't happy people, but humble people are. Jesus comes and shows us the way to joy, and it's found in serving others and in humility. Which leads us to the final point, that Jesus comes to make selfish people servants, Jesus comes to make proud people humble, and the number three, Jesus comes to make dead people alive. Jesus didn't come to make you better. Jesus came to make you new. Jesus doesn't come to make bad people good. Jesus comes to give joy by making dead people alive. And here's how he closes it out in verse nine. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Any eternity past, 
Jesus enters into eternity presence through his death, burial, and resurrection. God exalts him in eternity future today, and he has bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the theology of joy, that joy starts in heaven with Jesus in his pre-incarnate state. Through the doctrine of the Trinity, one God, three persons, mutual love, satisfaction, community, and joy. And Jesus leaves all of that behind, enters into human history, eternity present, and his entire life, do you know what he has? Great joy. And through his resurrection and ascension to the right hand of the Father, if you were to see Jesus today, he is in heaven with a smile on his face and joy in his heart because Jesus is joy. And he eternity past, an eternity present, and an eternity future. Jesus is joy, and he loves to give his joy to others. This is why Paul writes, in the presence of Jesus, every tribe, tongue, nation, confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. The whole goal and purpose of Jesus' life was to give joy to the world. That's why in heaven, guess what there is? There is joy. There is celebration. There is gladness. There is a party in heaven. There is much joy because God God, he loves to give joy. And you think, if that's the God that we serve, then why is the world the way that it is? The world is the way that it is because of sin. Martin Luther, the great reformer, he actually defines sin as this, that it's the self bending back in on the self. Sin is selfishness. Then Augustine, the early church father, he writes and he says that Pride is the mother of all sins, and it is pregnant with all forms of evil. Every war, every act of injustice, every act of violence that there is in the world, guess what? That stems from pride. That the sin of selfishness is you bending back on you. The sin of pride is pregnant with every single sort of evil that is ever committed. The biggest sins in the world are pride and selfishness. God did not put pride in your heart. God did not put selfishness selfishness in your heart. That comes from someone, that comes from somewhere else, that comes from Satan, that comes from hell, and that is an act of the demonic against your life. Do you know how I know this? Because the first sin ever committed was by Satan in heaven, in eternity past. He didn't want to worship God, he wanted God to worship him. He didn't want to serve God, he wanted God to serve him. He didn't want to just be in heaven, he wanted God to worship him. And so he led a rebellion, insurrection against God. God cast him down from eternity past into eternity present where now he brings that war against our first parents, Adam and Eve. God designed the world to be good, to be joyful. Whenever he made creation, he says, it is good. Whenever he made mankind, he said, it is very good. Another word for that would be joy. And he places them in the Garden of Eden. You know what the word Eden means? Delight, joy. It was a garden of joy. You know what Adam and Eve's first job was? To take care as humble servants, exercising the dominion that God had given them. God designed us to be humble servants, but through sin, we became proud and we became selfish. Do you know what the lie that Satan told Adam and Eve was? Do this and you will be what? Like God. He tempted them through selfishness and pride. And they gave in. It's the first sin ever committed. Selfishness and pride. And you know what sin leads to? Death. After Adam and Eve sinned, sickness enters into the world. 
Disease enters into the world, and death enters into the world. The wages of sin is death, and everybody who's ever lived ever since, they have died. See, we chose sin when God had joy. We chose being proud when God had humility. We chose selfishness when God had servants. And because of that, we experienced death. And every person who's ever lived ever since will and has died. But God had another plan. That in eternity past, God had a plan to send his son Jesus to come and enter into this world to humble himself as a servant, to live the life we never could live, to die the death, the death that we deserve. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, he came to give us our joy back. And through that resurrection, he's ascended at the right hand of the Father. And do you know what he has for you? He has joy. That if you were to see him in heaven right now, he is high and exalted with the name that is above every single name. And at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess, every knee will bow on earth, under the earth, and in the heavens that Jesus Christ is Lord forever. That we chose sin and he chose to give us joy. That in our life we chose death, but Jesus chose to bring us life. That we chose separation. He chose relationship. We chose condemnation. He chose celebration. And he chooses to give us joy. The whole reason Jesus came is to give you your joy back. See, a theology of joy says this, that you don't make your way to joy. Joy has made his way to you. And joy is not in places, and joy is not in people, and joy is not in possessions. Do you know where joy is? Joy is in a person, and his name is Jesus. So how do we get this great joy? Here's what Paul says, to the glory of God. If you want to get joy, glorify him. That Jesus alone is worthy. Jesus alone is praised. Jesus alone deserves all of the worship. Jesus alone deserves all of the glory that it's not about my name it's about his name it's not about my fame it's about his fame it's not about my notoriety or my recognition or my reputation it's about Jesus it's not about me it's all about Jesus and when you live your life with a position of a theology of joy that you exist to be a humble servant you are given new life in him and here is the good news here's the great news redemption I got good news for you. The more you glory in him, the more joy he gives back to you. That when we glorify him, he gives joy to us in the situation that Paul is in. Do you know what he's doing? He's glorifying Jesus, therefore he has joy. In the situation that you're in, if you glorify Jesus, he will give you joy. In the circumstance that you're in, if you glorify Jesus, he will give you joy. The more we glory in him, the more joy he gives to us. Jesus equals joy. So if you want to have some joy, you need to get Jesus. And I got even better news. Because Jesus never runs out of glory, you will never run out of joy. 
Because Jesus never runs out of glory. He is high, he is exalted with the name that is above every single name. He never runs out of glory, which means you will never run out of joy. He had joy in eternity past. He's got joy in eternity present. Oh, and there's joy for you in eternity future, which means that joy has a place in your life today. And that he's got joy for you today. He's got joy for you tomorrow. He's got joy for you five years from now. He's got joy for you 50 years from now. He's got joy for you 50 million years in the future because he never runs out of glory. He will never run out of joy to give to you. Do you need joy? Then you need Jesus. Do you want Jesus? Then you get joy. The more you glorify in him, the more joy he gives to you. Selfish, proud people, they cannot share their glory, which means they will never share in his joy. But humble servants, there is joy for you. Jesus says, I got joy for you. I got joy for you today. I got joy for you tomorrow. And I got joy for you in the future. If you will live your life for me, I will give you the joy that belongs to me. Joy is not in people or places or things. Joy is in a person, and his name is Jesus. This is the theology of joy. Well, thanks again for tuning in with us here at Redemption Church. If this message was helpful to you in any way, leave a review, like, comment, or share with your friends to help others experience life change through Jesus. Oh!